Chapter 19 of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter 19 Waiting. Following all this turmoil and pain and anxiety came a let up. The severity of Seraph's disease spent itself, or the skill of the doctor triumphed. The professional nurse went her way. She was too important a factor in this disease-stricken world to spend her time in coaxing back to ordinary health again, one from whom the immediate danger threatening had been withdrawn. Other homes were waiting for her, where anxious fathers and mothers stood helplessly about, building all their hopes of happiness on the efforts that doctor and skilled nurse were making. Such a life has its compensations. One could see that the nurse was used to these experiences, hungered for them almost. From the first hour when her skilled eye detected the watched-for change for the better in Seraph, her interest in her began to abate, and when the doctor told her of a case of typhoid that was in very special need of services such as hers, she was in almost heartless haste to be gone. It was a sickly spring, and professional nurses were in demand. With her went much of the comfort of Seraph's room, and nearly all of Ruth's peace of mind. An ordinary nurse who could be depended upon to give the invalid thoughtful care seemed well nigh impossible to secure, notwithstanding the fact that Judge Burnham offered such fabulous wages that the kitchen entrance was besieged all day with applicants, there was some hopeless objection to every one of them. Of the few who were tried as a last resort, not one stayed through the third day, and still the slow convalescence went on, and the interviewing of applicants mingled with Ruth's heavier duties of trying to reign in the invalid's room. Nothing more utterly wearying had ever come to her than this period of restless waiting and distasteful working. There were days when her life seemed almost unbearable. She had had tastes of such different work. She had so rested herself in those Sabbath temperance meetings, she had been so helped by the weekly meetings for prayer, she had felt that in these directions lay work that she could accomplish in the name of the Lord whom she loved. She chafed under this utter removal from such influences, and questioned wearily as to why it should have been permitted. During the sharpness of Seraph's illness, under the pressure of possible danger, she had not felt in this way. But to be obliged to spend her time in trying to play the part of nurse to an exacting invalid who did not enjoy her ministrations, or, leaving Kate in charge, who was trying to do double duty, go to the kitchen and question and cross-question an applicant, whom she felt with that acute inner consciousness which a woman much disciplined in this way comes to possess, would not do at all, or, if her summons came instead from the parlor, say over again for the dozenth time that day, we think she is gaining slowly, thank you, or, she is not quite so well today, had a restless night, or yet another phrase of the same story, she is about as she was yesterday, thank you, we see very little change from day to day, she will not get much strength, we fear, until settled weather. All this was wearying to her in the extreme. Neither was she when doing her utmost a successful nurse. With the most earnest desire to be kind and thoughtful, she did not understand the hundred little things that can never be taught, and which help to make the difference between the successful attendant and the good-hearted bungler. For instance, 
she had an exasperating fashion of bringing the utterly distasteful business of eating before the sick girl by the use of that irritating question what will you have for your dinner to-day or that almost equally trying one don't you think you could take a little chicken broth now ruth had never been sick in her life with that depressing sickness and weakness that continues day after day though the disease has been vanquished she knew nothing by experience about the nervous state of mind and stomach that impels the invalid under such circumstances to say no i don't want any chicken broth either now or ever and you will be kind enough never to mention the words to me again so she went on with her honest attempts and privately thought seraph the most childish as well as the most disagreeable of invalids because she was irritable and capricious over the various trifles moreover this choice nurse made that trying mistake of reasoning from her own standpoint instead of attempting to put herself in the sick one's place and because when she was sick her head ached and the light was unpleasant to her she was always drawing the curtains and screening the fire and making the room dim and quiet when seraph's head did not ache and her eyes were strong and she hated dark rooms and one of her employments which she best liked was to watch the glowing coals in the open grate fire all these little things made it harder both for seraph and for ruth the latter had still another anxiety that was in its way harder than any of the others during these days she saw comparatively little of erskine she could not even attend to his lessons which had been one of the pleasures of her life it was useless to undertake to interest a child in a reading lesson when she was liable to be called three or four times in the course of the half-hour to the kitchen or the sick-room or the parlour moreover the half-hour even in which to commence this pleasant work was very hard to secure it was not that there was much to do if there had been crowding employment for hands and mind it would have been in a sense easier it was the wearing thought that when she was downstairs she ought perhaps to be up and that when she went for a little walk with Erskine, she ought possibly to be at home, that tried Ruth's nerves to their utmost, and there seemed to be no way out of the maze. Daily was Erskine left to the care of a servant, to an extent that his sheltered life had not known before. Neither was her husband a source of strength to this much-tried woman. She saw little of him, it is true. He seemed more than ever engrossed in business, but that little was most unsatisfactory. He was moody even with Erskine, and disposed to be as nearly fault-finding as his habit of courtesy would allow with Ruth herself. Despite an evident attempt not to do so, he still let his thoughts linger much over their recent family disgrace. Too gentlemanly to blame Ruth in distinct language, he yet made frequent references to the misfortune of his having been from home just at that time to the certainty that he could have discovered what was going on and been able to prevent it he hinted that if her friends had been more outspoken less afraid of involving themselves in uncomfortable consequences all the misery might have been saved he openly declared that the mistake of their lives had been in not keeping close guard over minta on that last day ruth who had great pity for him in her heart because she believed that the father's heart must have received a blow something akin to what it would be to her if Erskine should desert her, 
held herself entirely quiet during those outbursts, not even once reminding him that if he had long ago heeded the plain warnings of her friends, instead of sneering at them, all might have been well. But it was, perhaps, not in human nature not to remember this fact, and say it over occasionally to herself. Nor was he particularly sympathetic with his wife over her home burdens. He did not realize what the daily strain was to her. He assured her that she was extremely foolish not to have all the help she needed, that it was nonsense to suppose that plenty of help could not be had. He could always secure as many men's servants as he wanted, that there was no reason in her being so exacting, and that Seraph ought not to be indulged in her whim of taking violent dislikes to persons without reasonable excuse. And, on the whole, Ruth decided that the less he knew about home, at this time, perhaps the better it would be for them both. So the wearing days went on, Seraph seeming neither to gain nor to lose, and the future stretching out before them apparently as barren of comfort as the present. Of course some change must come to them. They always came sooner or later. Nothing ever stayed for any length of time just as it was, but what would that change be? It came in an unexpected manner. Perhaps that is the common way in which they come. Dr. Westwood followed Mrs. Burnham from the invalid's room one morning, where he had been giving his usual sentences intended to be cheering, to the effect that it would not always be March, nor even early in April, and that the warm spring days would come before many weeks, when housed-up people could venture forth into strength-giving air and sunshine, and then he had called for the usual glasses and spoons, and made his mixtures, and given his directions, and said his courteous good morning, and then followed Ruth as she went away in answer to a summons from downstairs, and as the door of Seraph's room had closed after him, had said, I would like a word with you, Mrs. Burnham, if you please. And Ruth had halted and thrown open the door of Judge Burnham's upstairs study, and followed him in, somewhat wonderingly. Dr. Westwood was not one of her favorites. They exchanged as few words as possible. He closed the door carefully and drew a chair for the lady, then came directly to the point. I do not know, madame, what your views may be in regard to plain speaking under the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I always leave such matters to the family. My responsibilities are sufficiently heavy without shouldering them. I think Miss Burnham is entirely deceived. Is it your will that she should remain so? I do not understand faltered Ruth, her face growing pale over she knew not what. Was it possible that Dr. Westwood meant Mr. Satterley, and was there a new shadow coming over this much-tried home even now? Why, of course you know, my dear madame, that it is only a question of time, and a much shorter time than I had at first supposed. But Miss Burnham evidently looks forward confidently to regaining her health. And do you mean, do you think she will not recover strength eventually? I do not know what you mean, Dr. Westwood. Is it possible you do not know that the disease is what is sometimes called quick consumption, and that it is making rapid advance? You do not mean, doctor, that she is going to die. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Burnham. I did not know that you also were deceived. I have been very abrupt. There was both dismay and pity in his voice, 
for the pallor of Ruth's face was very apparent now, and in her surprise and consternation she felt giddy and faint. She reached forward for the chair she had declined and leaned against it. "'No matter,' she said. "'Tell me plainly now what you mean. If I understand you, we have certainly been very much deceived.' "'There is little more to tell,' he said, speaking gently, and evidently greatly surprised over her manner of receiving his news. "'I will be perfectly frank, as is my custom, when the circumstances of the case will admit.' Miss Burnham may linger through the late spring, but this morning I have my doubts even as to that. She is failing more rapidly than I had supposed probable, and it occurred to me that it might not be the wish of the family to have her kept in ignorance of the true nature of her disease. I had not supposed that Judge Burnham and yourself shared her hopes, and that must account for an abruptness which I can plainly see has been cruel." I beg you will forgive me, and unless I can serve you in some way, I will not intrude longer. He was very polite, very ceremoniously kind, and he bowed himself away, and within the next hour told a brother physician that the gossip which had been afloat so long about Mrs. Burnham and her stepdaughters not getting on comfortably together was all false, so far at least as the sick one was concerned that he had rarely seen an own mother more overwhelmed with the news that her daughter was going to die than was Mrs. Burnham. He was right. Ruth was overwhelmed. No thought of such a conclusion as this had entered her mind since those first days when Seraph had been acknowledged to be alarmingly ill. When the disease had reached its crisis, Ruth had supposed the danger passed, and, all unused to illness as she was, had continued ignorant even in the daily presence of a disease which, to the experienced eye of the physician, was making rapid advance. She was more than overwhelmed. She was dismayed. Seraph Burnham going to die, to die soon. Why, it was appalling. Could any one be more unready for death than she? How was it possible for one like her to go up before the judge? It seemed to Ruth afterwards that, during that first half-hour after the doctor had left her alone, she came face to face with a realizing sense of death and the judgment for the first time in her life, and the thought that a soul with which she had had to do for years was going swiftly forward into those scenes all unprepared seemed almost to paralyze her with terror. She could not give way to these feelings long. There was much to be done, she had forgotten her summons to the kitchen, had forgotten also that the sick one was left alone, but she was not left long in forgetfulness. An imperative summons came to her, and sending Kate to Seraph, she put aside her strange terrors as best she could, and tried to listen coherently to the voluble tongue whose owner had presented herself in the hope of being engaged as nurse and attendant. All the time the bewildered mistress was saying to herself, she will not do, she will not do at all. If there were no other reason, she is not the person to attend one who is going to die. When at last she had schooled herself into outward calm, and forced herself to return to Seraph, that young lady threw her again into consternation. Mamma, she said, turning on her couch and looking full into Ruth's face, I heard the doctor ask to speak to you this morning, and I know it was something about me. It would be a great satisfaction to me if you would tell me just what he said. 
How was this appeal to be answered? Ruth had not thought about it. She had put it away sternly as something which must, among other grave things, be decided, but not until she had time to think. Here it was confronting her, and it could be answered now only by dismayed silence. I do not want to be treated like a child, said Seraph, speaking coldly. If the doctor had any information to give which concerned me, I think he might have given it directly to me. But since he did not choose to do that, I ask you as a favor to tell me exactly what he said. I will tell you, said Ruth hurriedly, startled at the sound of her own voice. I will tell you at another time, not now. I haven't time now, that is, I have not thought how to... And there she stopped. What a terrible bungle she was making of this terrible thing. Oh, what ought she to say? If there were only someone else to take this awful responsibility. Still Seraph questioned her with those great beautiful eyes. You have almost told me, she said. You might as well finish. He says I am not going to get well. Isn't that it? Now tell me this. Does he think I am going to die soon? He thinks, said Ruth, and her lips trembled. He is afraid. Oh, Seraph! Never mind, said Seraph. I understand. You need not tell me any more. Go away and leave me alone. And she turned her face to the wall and lay perfectly still. End of chapter 19 Recording by Tricia G.